Hello and welcome to Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner, and we're covering an emergency episode of Bombs Away. Didn't quite get to my laptop in time to be able to record, but we're here, and it's an emergency because Pablo Lopez has re-signed a four-year extension with the Minnesota Twins worth $73.5 million. So essentially what this contract does, it keeps him in a Twins uniform through the 2027 season season so he's with the twins under contract for this year and he'll be with the twins next year no matter what although he would have to go to arbitration so he's making five and a half million this year he's going to make upwards of 10 million next year but instead of the twins having to go to arbitration and haggle out his salary in the winter and then risk losing him the year after the twins essentially uh, bought up the last year of his arbitration and then bought the first few years of his free agency so they have him through 2024, 2025, 2026, and 2027. So four more seasons after this. And so you could call it a four-year contract. You could technically call it a three-year contract since Pablo Lopez was going to be a twin next year anyways. But essentially what this does is it gives Pablo Lopez the financial security to know that he has that he's got the bag, that he's got a contract waiting for him. It gives the twin security because they know that they have Pablo Lopez locked up. And by the way, at a pretty cheap number. I know it's he's going to make somewhere in that 20-ish, 19-ish million dollar range, depending on how you want to divvy up the money per year. But essentially, and there's an article from Aaron Gleeman in The Athletic, and he kind of uh, highlights a couple, different art, uh, a couple different contracts that it's correlated to. And essentially, the way starting pitching and the value of that, even though they're pitching less and less innings these days, the value of a starting pitcher has gone up very much along with everything else. And that the, the rate of which the twins are paying Lopez, which is just under 20 million or in that $20 million per year range. If you look at a guy like Chris Bassett, who signed a deal with the New York Mets, or if you look at uh, just some of these other free agent pitchers, they don't have the ceiling that Pablo Lopez does. And they're certainly not as young as Pablo Lopez. Keep in mind, Pablo Lopez is what, 26, 27 years old. And he's going to spend the prime pitching years of his career with the Minnesota twins. And that's a big deal. And again, the twins lock up their ACE. And I think after a few starts, I know we haven't even been through a whole month of the season, but I still think it's probably safe to call Pablo Lopez the ACE. And every single game he's pitched for the twins this season, he has given them a chance to win. He pitched really well in Yankee stadium yesterday, despite the loss, you had a little league home run that had to bounce off the top of the wall and in 331 feet of Yankee stadium. It's an easy fly ball catch for Kepler literally anywhere else. And then you had a, whatever, an RBI single that you gave up the guy who got on first base with Rizzo. There was the controversy of whether he got hit by the pitch or not. The point is, is only giving up two runs in about six innings at Yankee stadium will give you a chance to win the ball game. Of course, the twins didn't get any offense, but that's not what this first part of the podcast is about. Pablo Lopez is going to be a Minnesota twin. This is a, a big move because, and here's the thing. I think this Pablo Lopez extension was inevitable uh, for a few different reasons. The first reason was you gave up Luis Arise to get him. Luis Arise is under contract for the next few seasons because he still has team control. He only made his debut in 2019. So you have 20, uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, he still has a couple more years of team control left with the Marlins. And 
if you look at Pablo Lopez, he has this year and next year before he would have been eligible for free agency. And so if you're the Twins uh, and you're the Marlins, you technically would have Luis Arise longer before he hits free agency than you would for Pablo Lopez. And if you're going to give up the batting champ, I know the Twins got the couple prospects. But those are young prospects. They're they're not guarantees. The main piece of this trade was Pablo Lopez. And for the Twins to get Pablo Lopez, that's great. And you get him for a couple years. But did you really trade the batting champ? And all-around great guy, very fan favorite, everything that Luis Arise was. And by the way, he's still doing pretty darn well in Miami you weren't just going to give him up for a rental player, essentially, in Pablo Lopez, even if it was for multiple seasons. The Twins, I'm sure as soon as they made this trade, were already, whether they went to Pablo Lopez's agent or whether they just internally were having these discussions of what does a Pablo Lopez extension look like? We have him in the building for a few months. He's down in Fort Myers. He's getting ready. We get to work with him. We get to see him. You know, and the, the thing about Pablo Lopez that maybe goes unknown, he is from Venezuela. Grew up watching Johan Santana pitch for the Twins. Has one of the best change-ups in baseball, just like Johan Santana did in his prime. Obviously, Pablo Lopez's change-up isn't anywhere near Johan Santana's, but that's beside the point. Uh, uh, and he's just a, a smart guy, comes from a smart family. If he wasn't going to be a Major League Baseball player, he was already accepted into med school and he was a teenager. Now, you know, it's not exactly getting into Harvard medicine, but still... Uh, he's a smart guy and he was going to be very successful no matter what he was going to do, even if he didn't play baseball and he did. And he's a smart guy. He's a guy who is really uh, coachable from all I've read about Pablo Lopez. Uh, and in the videos I've seen in the interviews, seems like an all around great guy. You lose all around great guy, Luis Arise, and you gain another all around great guy in Pablo Lopez. And for Pablo Lopez to anchor that pitching staff and to be that veteran presence, for him to be there, I know Sonny Gray is here, but that's just the thing with Pablo Lopez is that locking him up is important because just as much as you traded Luisa Rice to get him and it was important to lock him up and Derek Falvey and Thad Levine needed to lock him up to keep him here because if you can get that return on investment, why not? If you can, the point of trading for a player like that is to eventually sign them to a long-term extension because if he hits the open market, the Twins are going to get outbid as we've seen with other teams. Uh, he's a guy that, honestly, if he would have pitched a couple more months with the way he's pitching, there's a good chance that when the Twins approach him for an extension, he says, nah, I'm just going to wait out until I become a free agent. And for the Twins to lock him up early, again, shows confidence in him. And for Lopez, it shows shows that and whatever. But again, back to the rest of the pitching staff. Uh, when you look at how this is currently constructed right now, you have Joe Ryan, you have Pablo Lopez. Both of those two guys are locked up. They're going to be here a while. Uh, Joe Ryan is under team control, very cheap for the next few years. And then when you look at the rest of the rotation, things get a little more dicey. Tyler Malley is going to be a free agent after this season. Sonny Gray is going to be a free agent after this season. Kenta Maeda is going to be a free agent after this season. So you're going to have to remake this rotation. And remember, there were a lot of years where you know, the Twins go into the offseason and they're like, okay, we have Jose Barrios and we have nobody else. And then they have to sign Matt Schumacher's and Dylan Bundy's and Chris Archer's and do all this kind of stuff to piece together 
uh, a rotation with some, you know, we got to sign Michael Pineda, but we also have to make sure like we're signing him for a year where he's not going to pitch because he's recovering from Chami John just so that way we have him in the building and we know that we have a, a guy in a couple of years or we got to, you know, overpay for Lance Lynn and, and do all that kind of stuff. So for the twins to have that stability of knowing that Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez are going to be back. Theoretically, you have Varland, you have Ober, you have Woods Richardson, you have several other guys who you can throw into that starting rotation mix if Jordan Belazovic ever turns it around. You know, there's always the door for signing a guy in free agency or maybe trading for a guy at some point uh, next season. But there, the point is, is you don't have to build it from scratch and build it from Joe Ryan on up. Now you have at least some building blocks to go off of and that should help the twins exponentially uh, as as well when it comes to uh, when it comes to building out the rotation. And as much as I love Sonny Gray, I don't. I mean, if the twins already extended Lopez, I know the twins have had some discussions about re-signing Gray. They also had some discussions in the offseason about trading Sonny Gray. So they're not necessarily beholden to keeping Sonny Gray around. No, I think generally I like Sonny Gray. I think he's pitched well. He's been fully healthy. But if you're the Twins, you know, the Twins are hesitant to give money, long-term money, I should say, to starting pitching. I mean, look at it this way. What the Twins are paying Pablo Lopez per year is what they probably would have paid Jose Barrios per year. If it was a similar type deal like this for Jose Barrios, where it was three years, about $20 million per year, I think the Twins would have done that contract, or at least there would have been a very different discussion, whereas Jose Barrios, rightfully so, you got to look out for himself, wanted more money. He wanted longer years, maybe is the better way to put it. And he wanted that seven-year contract, which is what he got from Toronto, and now the Blue Jays are stuck in a mess. You can see the thought process from Falvey is, I don't. starting pitching is such a risk to sign for that I am not willing to give big money to starting pitchers for more than four years. And this is the first really multi-year contract, big contract for a pitcher. They've given Michael Pineda a couple of years, but that was only because he was recovering for one. Uh, and then they signed him for another one after 2019 to keep him through 2020 and 2021. Uh, but th- th- there's just a couple other things. To, there's a couple other guys to throw in the mix. Addison Reed, I think, got a contract at one point for three years, but he was a bullpen guy. Um, you look at, uh, um, trying to think of who else, the twins really have signed. And that, and again, they sign a lot of rental guys. They sign a lot of buy low guys on the pitching staff side of things, because one Falvey kind of wanted to save money to be able to, to have that flexibility when he felt the time was right. And, you know, he didn't throw that money up Rios, which means now he had the money to go get Carlos Correa and now to go re and now to go extend Pablo Lopez. So if you look at Falvey, he doesn't want to give multi-year deals to pitchers, over four years or like over five years, maybe five years is like that threshold, but three years to keep Pablo Lopez pitching. Because the thing that always goes with contracts is, you know, I had somebody tell me today, you know, I, I'm not a cynical twins fan, but at the same time, like now that Pablo Lopez is locked up, is he going to get hurt just in the you know bad nature way of just kind of how these things always go for the twins, or at least they feel like they go for some people. Uh, you know, that's, that's one way to look at it, but that's one way people have looked at it. But if you look at it from, it's only a short-term contract. If he does, if his arm falls off, it's only the next four years, essentially. And it's a lot of money 
but it's not enough money where it necessarily cripples you from a financial standpoint to go out and get somebody. Keep in mind, Max Kepler won't be on the roster next year. Keep in mind, uh, there's just a couple other guys with this twin team. Eventually, Jorge Polanco won't be on the roster. Uh, they are able to save money in other ways where the thing will not pay for itself, but essentially it'll kind of, the cost will equal out. Uh, from who you're going to lose. So really with this Pablo Lopez trade uh, signing, why it's significant is one, the Twins made a big capital investment in trading Luis Arise to get him. And you're not just going to trade Luis Arise for a rental player. So re-signing him was always the goal. And now that they've seen him in the building and they've been justified in their acquisition of Pablo Lopez, it's time to reward him and get him that long-term security while also locking him up before his value could go up anymore. And so that's why this trade got done so early. I'm sure, you know, the Atlanta Braves are known for trading for players from Oakland and then immediately signing them to long-term extensions. And maybe that's what the Twins wanted to do. And I think they probably held those discussions internally, but probably wanted to actually, you know, you look at a guy like Tyler Malley or a guy like Sonny Gray, when their first kind of starts, they ended up being hurts for them to go, you know what, let's wait, let's see them in the building, let's have them get a few starts underneath their belts, get comfortable, and then all of a sudden, and maybe the Twins were always having those discussions, but as soon as they saw Pablo Lopez for a couple starts, they're like, we will pay you what you want. Let's just get this done. So that's, you made an investment in Luis Arise, uh, by giving up Luis Arise, so you needed to justify that investment, and this looks like it's good, unlike another justification of a certain bullpen pitcher who we don't really need to go into, although not having the worst start to this season. So I'll give him that in Emilio Pagan. Uh, the second reason is that the twins need stability in the rotation in uh, after 2023 because of the impending departures of, of Sonny Gray, of Tyler Malley and Kenta Maeda. Does one of those three guys come back? Maybe. But when you also look at Chris Paddock, who could come back at some point this season, but certainly will be back for next season. When you look at Louis Varland, Simeon Woods Richardson, and Bailey Ober, there's a lot of other options internally the Twins could promote and then, you know, find somebody else. Would the Twins want to bring Sonny Gray back on a one-year deal? I'm sure they'd love to, and I'm sure they'd even overpay to bring Sonny Gray back on a one-year deal based on how the Twins like to uh, sign players to contracts. Now, does Sonny Gray probably want a long-term deal to finish out his career? Probably. So that probably means he's out. Not necessarily that the two sides, probably, I'm guessing, I don't have any sources, but are they against a reunion? No, but you know, you got to look out for number one and that's what each side is doing. And the third reason why is it's significant that the twins re-signed Pablo Lopez is because of course of the financial commitment that the twins never, ever make to pitchers ever. So for them to give him a multi-year contract uh, around 20 million a year, which again, I know, you got to we got to wrap our heads around this cuz 20 million dollars is a lot of money for a guy who plays baseball but in terms of the context of how major league baseball contracts are formulated just get past the numbers for a second i know it's a lot of money i know there's a lot of people out there who work other jobs who you know that anytime you, i bring up contracts around people who you know aren't mega followers of the people like casual followers and again there's nothing wrong with being a casual follower but the amount of times i bring up money it just shuts them down. They're not, they don't even want to talk about sports anymore. And I get it on a gut level feeling, but also like the twins got a relatively fair, but good price. They paid a lot of money, but they certainly got a deal in Pablo Lopez. And it's a reason why the twins broke out of the mold and signed a guy to a long-term extension. But Pablo Lopez 
is a guy who pitches a lot of innings. He pitched 180 innings for the Marlins last year. He's got He's added a couple miles per hour on his fastball. He went from 93 miles an hour average fastball to a 95 mile an hour average fastball. Throws fastball changeup. Works in a little curveballs, but hasn't really liked to use it too much. It's the sweeper that's taken the world by storm. And that's allowed uh, Pablo Lopez to be so effective. And you look at the amount of swings and you look at the amount of, of, of swings and misses, rather, that he gets on that sweeper. It's really, really good. And then you saw in that start against the Chicago White Sox where his sweeper wasn't on point and he quickly switched back to fastball changeup. But so many people now are focused in on trying to beat the sweeper that all of a sudden now he can let his really good changeup work again. Pablo Lopez and every single one of his starts, even though he's lost two of them, pitcher losses should not be considered in this case because Pablo Lopez has given up minimal runs in each of his starts and put the Twins in position to win every single ball game. So Pablo Lopez is everything that the Twins have wanted so far in a starting pitcher, and it's been really fun to see the Twins actually have a good pitcher. I know Jose Barrios was the last time we really, uh, as a Twins fans, had a guy who came up through the minors and was set to be this ace, and he never could quite get there. And I'm not saying Pablo Lopez is at that level yet. He's probably in that Jose Barrios camp of really, really good. Now, can you really, really good? The home run ball seems to be impacting you a little bit, but can you take that next step and become a true number one ace and not a really good number two or a good number three on a really good team? You know, like, can you take that bona fide ace step? We still have to see that with Pablo Lopez, but based on what he's given the Twins so far, there's no reason to think that he doesn't earn, that he didn't deserve this contract extension. Uh, Some other things with Pablo Lopez as we take a look at his stats throughout this season. I mean, uh, really... Uh, he's been doing a good job of not just getting swings and misses, but also when he's getting hit, he is uh, in the top 9% in baseball, according to Baseball Savant, of exit velocity. Uh, It's 84 and a half miles an hour, uh, which is one of the, it's 10% best in the league, meaning they're not able to hit Pablo Lopez. They're barreling up 3.1, or they're barreling up 5.3, excuse me, percent of pitches which again is a really good number. He's having a really good season. His strikeout rate is a career high right now at 33.7. It's again, been a really good season for him. He's kept the walks about to his career average is a 1.73 ERA. His weighted ERA is 2.46. So and the weighted ERA tries to, because ERA sometimes if you just look at the raw numbers, you know, weighted ERA tries to factor in teams you're playing in ballparks and and tries to basically, uh, you know, average it out. And even still, it says Pablo Lopez is having a great season for the Twins, generating a lot of swings and misses. I mean, I go check out my Twitter at bombcj30. I just uh, posted a screenshot of Pablo Lopez's baseball savant page, and holy cow, everything is in the red, and that's that's good. It's really really good. And we talk about the sweeper. He's thrown his fastball the most about 34% of the time, but that sweeper has been thrown 22% of the time as well. The changeup at about 19.8. So relatively 20%. And then the sinker at 15, the changeup or the curveball, excuse me, at about 9%. So really it's that development of the sweeper that has taken his game to the next level and really allowed him from being just basically a fastball changeup starting pitcher where those two pitches were really effective for him and his other two pitches were not 
as effective. Now to add this sweeper, which for those who don't know what a sweeper is, and I'm learning this on the fly just as much as everybody else, Glenn Perkins and Justin Morneau have been really, really good on the Twins broadcast and really insightful. Go listen to their broadcast. It's so good. By the way, Trevor Plouffe, also joining the Twins broadcast. He just put that out on social media today. Likely going to be in a studio role or going to be doing what Glenn Perkins does and being in the dugout and doing some of that stuff. Awesome. I, Glenn Perkins, Trevor Plouffe, Justin Morneau are very, one, they're very good baseball players in their time. And also uh, just really smart guys and smart guys that know media and smart guys that uh, really are talking about things that people don't always understand. I try and understand some of these baseball numbers, and sometimes it's just like way over my head. Uh, anyway, what the sweeper is, is essentially it's a slider that you can throw to righties. So if you're a uh, right-handed starting pitcher, which Pablo Lopez is, you typically throw the slider against left-handed pitchers because it breaks away. And what it does is you think that you're getting, you know, ideally if I, you know, in MLB, the show, you set up fastball, fastball, and then you throw a slider in the outside in the outer half low in the zone and have it make them think that they can hit it. And then it breaks out of the strike zone. And that's essentially what a slider is for a left-handed hitter against a right-handed pitcher. Well, against a right-handed pitcher, a right-handed hitter, excuse me, it cuts inside. And because it cuts inside, uh, it cuts right back into your swing. So if you don't locate it right, it's got a good chance of getting hit. So what the sweeper does is essentially it has a lot of that horizontal movement, but instead it replicates what the slider does against lefties. So it breaks away and it's it sweeps, you know, which is why it's called the sweeper. So that's essentially what it is. It's a relatively new pitch. Uh, some other pitchers around baseball have picked it up, but Pablo Lopez has kind of been the poster child for the sweeper in this first month of the season. And it's been really fun getting to see him take that next step and, and really getting to see the twins start to develop pitching and start to do some of the creative stuff. Cause again, we talk about it all the time. The twins have never been able to develop pitching so far. They've been able to at least keep Joe Ryan's career on the tracks. Now, again, you know, can Joe Ryan take that next step up to be a really good number two? Right now, he's a solid number three pitcher on a on a good team. There are some teams Joe Ryan's the ace. There's some teams Joe Ryan's the fifth starter. And where the Twins are kind of, you know, Joe Ryan's exactly where he needs to be. But they've kept his development on the tracks. They've helped Pablo Lopez right now. Uh, I, I think when you look at some of those things like that, the development of pitching, Louis Varlin's been a good pitcher in their system. Uh, Bailey Ober's developed well and increased the velocity throughout his time in the Twins minor league system. I'm not saying the Twins are going to become the guardians in terms of how much they churn out pitchers, but it's at least nice to know that we're beyond the the Terry Ryan, Ron Gardenhire days of pitch to contact and and all that kind of stuff that got them shellacked in the, in the 20 teens. But Again, this Pablo Lopez signing is just, it's really good for the Twins. And that's kind of the main, the points. But I think the biggest point is I always saw a Pablo Lopez extension as inevitable because the Twins were not going to let him get away with what they gave up for Luis Arise. And then there's all that other stuff that gets thrown in there. I like Pablo Lopez. Uh, told my wife earlier, we stand Pablo Lopez in this house. And that is exactly what we are going to keep doing, I guess, until 2027, which is a welcome site for Twins fans because, again, they never make this kind of investment in pitching. It's the biggest contract to a pitcher ever, and it can make me forget about that awful, awful Ricky Nolasco contract 
which is nice. Uh, so a couple other things I noticed, then we'll wrap it up. I don't want to spend too much time in the emergency podcast about Pablo Lopez talking about other things, but um, just my few takeaways from the weekend series. Uh, one, uh, Rocco's going to get fined by baseball for that Domingo German incident. And honestly, I don't blame Rocco Baldelli. Uh, now, am I insinuating that German was cheating? No. What I... What I think the hang up is, is he was using rosin and there's a whole bunch of other people who have explained the situation, but just the quick version, he was using rosin, uh, which is a legal substance. It's the, what the little bag is on the mound is to help soak up sweat. It's help give pitchers a little bit of a grip. However, you can use too much of a legal substance. And so the umpire won and told him, Hey man, you have a little too much on your hands, wash it off. No biggie. And then all of a sudden, and again, German had a career high in strikeouts. Twins hitters could not hit him. It was, he was throwing a really good game. And then the second, the next inning, he comes out and the umpire checks him and he said, and you could hear it on the TV, his lips say, I thought I told you to wash it off. And he got to stay in the ball game. And Rocco Baldelli is basically, it's not even against the Yankees so much as it's the umpires. Like, what is the standard here? Like, why does he get to stay in the game? And, And now, is it because he's a Yankee? Is it, I think it plays not so much that it's the Yankees. I think it plays more into the fact of that you're at Yankee Stadium on a Saturday and that ballpark's packed. And do you really want to toss out a guy while he's dealing? Uh, you're going to get mugged in the parking lot. I think now I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but I wonder if that went into the decision more than just that he had the pinstripes on. But again, at the same time, uh, in Rocco's defense, like what's he supposed to do? He's got to fight for his guys. He's got to try and get that pitcher out of the game because he's thrown really well. And he clearly is doing something that is helping him and giving him a competitive advantage. And the substance itself wasn't illegal, but he put too much of a legal substance on, which made it illegal. Uh, and the umps told him to wash it off. And by the way, after that whole mess, he did wash it off. And now that we can track spin rates, in full t- in real time, you can go to Baseball Savant and you can check the spin of the ball every single pitch. It's like a golf simulator. You know, you can track the spin and the angle and, and all that kind of stuff. And you can do that with baseball. And his spin rate, which he was generating, a lot of spin early in the game. And again, a lot of spin for a baseball means a lot more movement, which means it's a lot harder for hitters to square up the baseball if it takes a lot of wicked movement. It's like it's a wiffle ball out there. And... He all of a sudden had a lot less spin rate, significantly less spin rate when he couldn't use the rosin as heavily as he was, but it didn't matter. The twins were already out of the ball game by that point and whatever. That's just, we're, I don't need to relitigate it any further than that. I just think Rocco Baldelli is going to get fined by baseball and he definitely doesn't deserve to. It was that in the home plate rule. Two things, Rocco Baldelli and umpires, man, they got a bad, bad relationship. Uh, right now. Uh, but uh, mainly there's just a couple other news and notes. One, Carlos Correa owns the Yankees. Uh, nice to see. Uh, another thing with this Twins Yankee series, I know they lost the last two games of the series, and I know they were kind of ugly losses because the Twins lead the, I think Buxton leads the league in strikeouts. The Twins are one of the most, uh, I think the Twins are the, uh, in terms of team strikeouts, have the third most in the American League. Uh, and outside of a couple 11-run outbursts and a nine-run outburst against Houston, uh, they their bats grow eerily quiet. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, that the Twins' bats have a tendency to just get quiet. 
and just they'll break out with 11 runs one game and then the next day they'll score one or none. I mean, in the Miami series, they scored 11 runs in the first game and then they didn't score any more after that. So again, we're seeing more of the boomer bust nature of the Twins offense. And I think one is injuries. You don't have Gallo, you don't have Polanco, you don't have a couple of those guys. But at the same time, Buxton's in the lineup, Correa's in the lineup, Miranda's in the lineup, Larnick's in the lineup, Vasquez is in the lineup. There's no reason why you shouldn't be putting the ball in play more than what the Twins are. Now every offense goes through a rough stretch, so I'm not trying to say that it's indicative of the entire 2023 season, but... It's using 2022 plus the first three weeks of 2023 to keep telling the story. And so far, they haven't broken that narrative. Now, uh, that's just the nature of this Twins lineup, though, because I've said it uh, on the podcast all, se- uh, all season long. It's only been three weeks. But in, in spring training and early on in the season, I've been saying, you know, this Twins team has a lot of potential but they really need to be carried by some of their talent. They need some of this talent that they've been hyping up to produce. They need Trevor Larnick to not just be a streaky good hitter. They need Trevor Larnick to be a legitimately good hitter. And he's cooled off after a really good first couple weeks, which again happens, but you also need Jose Miranda, who's hit the ball hard, but just hasn't quite had the results show up for him yet. You need Ed Julian, who after a good second game in the big leagues, has had a rough go of it. Uh, and really had a tough time putting the ball in play against some of these, again, good Yankee pitchers. But again, Julian's got to go through his lumps at the big league level. And Alex Kirloff, if he comes back, is he going to be 2021 Alex Kirloff when he was healthy? Or is he going to be 2022 Alex Kirloff when he wasn't healthy? Uh, There's just a lot of guys who there's high ceilings for guys like Kirloff and Julian and Larnick and Miranda, but there's also not really a floor for this team. It's a high ceiling, high floor. uh, It's a high ceiling, low floor team. When they are right, they are a dynamic lineup. And the twins offense, even last season was top 10 in baseball in runs produced. And I believe top six in home runs, but they still had this issue last season of they'd score runs in bunches. And then the offense would grow eerily quiet. And that's the same thing that's happening this season. And they need some of that uh, lineup help to produce. They need, you know, and again, not that you just can call up all the rookies because they might be like Ed Julian, have a lot of promise and a lot of hope, but are going to struggle initially. And if you're the twins, are you in a spot to be patient enough where you can call up some of these guys? The answer is no. You hope that you can stash them in the lower part of the lineup or only have one rookie who needs to take through his lumps and hope everybody else is doing well. At this point and how the twins are built to compete, they can't allow this lineup to have multiple guys go through lumps for long stretches of time, even though the pitching is good enough to keep them in every single ball game this season. There has been no game for this pitching staff where it's been like eight runs by the fifth inning and you're just done. There have been high, there have been some high run games, but even still it's been like four or five runs. And by that's by like the eighth inning, they get to that number and there you given your offense, every opportunity to at least keep it a game. Uh, but when it comes to the twins, there's just a very, there's a lot of room for them to be really good. And there's also no way to stop them from being really bad. If some of these prospects don't pan out or don't at least pan out right away. And the last thing I want to talk about over the weekend, I think has to probably be Max Kepler. So Max Kepler uh, is really going through a tough stretch. Uh, He had the one home run this season, but outside of that, it's been, he has maybe what one or two other hits Outside of that, he just came off the IL over the weekend. I didn't know if he would, but he did. And uh, he just hasn't been 
I mean, he hasn't been great since 2019. Now, I think there's a bit of a revisionist history to pretend like Max Kepler has, you know, in the words of Stephen A. Smith, been a bona fide scrub. I don't think that's true. I think Kepler is a league average player. But the thing with Max Kepler is he's a league average player uh, who is playing a position that he doesn't need to be there. A left-handed hitting corner outfielder. The Twins had plenty of left-handed hitting corner outfielders. Now, I know Gallo's hurt and Walner had a rough week when he got called up. He got sent back down to AAA, did Matt Walner when Kepler came off the IL. But there's no reason why Max Kepler needed to be on this Twins team. They probably should have just traded him. And the reason the Twins didn't is because they really thought they could get some high-level and by high level, I mean just a major league ball player, whether they were a quality ball player, just a replacement level guy, they didn't want to do Gio Urshela trade where they just got like a 19-year-old in single A. It was like, eh, well, he's somebody. You know, he's better than nothing. So uh, I think they they really oversold themselves on Kepler. But again, Kepler hasn't been great. He hasn't been downright unplayable. Up until about this point. Right now, he's pretty unplayable. But I think, you know, he's been just fine. He's been that whole, uh, he's every team's number nine hitter, number eight hitter. You always are like, geez, this guy can't really hit. But, I mean, there's 30 teams in baseball, and everybody has a guy at the bottom of the lineup who thinks he can't hit. Heck, outside of a couple home runs, people could be saying that about Michael A. Taylor, you know? So, I, I don't know. I think... Are we being a little too harsh on Max Kepler in the moment? Yeah. But I think the reason why is because there's really not a bunch of big reasons to keep him around on this twins team. Other than there's a lot of history. It's like, you're trying to break up with, uh, you know, with the girlfriend you've been dating for six years and you like, you had some really good times and you thought it was going to work and now it's time to pull the plug. But every single time you just remember the good times and you know, they don't treat you that horribly, but at the same time, you know, that this fit isn't working. I don't know. Is this a good analogy? I, whatever, but, uh, that's, that's how it is with Max Kepler is it's just time to move on because you have Alex Kirilov who's going to come back soon and you're going to need to make room for you have Trevor Larnick who can play right field. You have Joey Gallo who could play the outfield when he comes back. You have, um, you have Matt Walner in AAA, and you just ultimately have other guys who can provide just as much value as Max Kepler. But the thing with Max Kepler is when he plays bad, the twins feel beholden to let him hit his way through it just keep putting him in the lineup because they don't have no, they don't have anybody else to, they feel like they don't have anywhere else to go. And they feel like they don't want to alienate Max Kepler because of how he's been a starter for this team for so long. And I think that's just when you know, it's time that you have to make a change and allow things to kind of hit the reset button. Kepler was a good fielder in his time. He's a good base runner. And when he was on, he was a really good hitter as well, but he's just not at that level anymore. And it's not to say that he always was a bad ball player, but I think it's just his time in Minnesota has reached a natural end and we need to let it get there and we need to stop kind of holding out for a resurgence. The shift didn't help him as I predicted, by the way. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it stinks. Cause I do like Max Kepler on a personal level or like on a fan level do like Max Kepler, but at the same time, it's ready to, we just need to be ready to get rid of him. All right, this has been Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. We have more stuff coming out next week. Be sure to check it out. I'm CJ Baumgartner. Until next time, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, and all uh, the social media channels as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Check you guys next time.